Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. Another area that we focused on is just how we approach our prospects. So the, the, the idea of sequencing and, and having a more automated function was really designed to free up our reps' times. You know, if, if, if I know that I have to make 10 calls in a day and send 20 emails, I want to spend the most time on high-priority contacts. This is Sales Ops Demystified the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Tim McGee, who is currently a VP of Strategy and Sales Operations at Elsevier. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. So let's kick off and understand how we initially found our way into sales operations. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's always a journey. Um, you know, I, I feel I've always been in or around sales in, in all of my different roles. Um, I started in what is now a broad-based customer success type of role, you know, handling renewals, customer trainings, usage and reporting. Um, and from there, it, it just led to a natural switch into product management, you know, hearing the voice of the customer and ultimately what the product needs to be to, to really enable sales in the future. You know, I, I, I think in these roles, I've, I've always been a person who's looked at a challenge or, you know, a broken process and said, how can I make it better? Um, even if it wasn't mine or if it was outside of my scope or my remit, um, you know, process efficiency, removing barriers, um, challenging historical norms is, is kind of how I've always handled any situation or any role that I've been in. And I think this mentality or this approach kind of put me on the radar for, um, you know, for someone who was heading up sales operations at the time. And uh, they, they began a, a small grooming process. To, to bring me into the fold of sales operations. And then I think once I, you know, once I took over sales operations um, at a company called IMS Health, which is now Acuvia, um, you know, I was certainly ready for the job um, based off of that grooming and, and some of my past roles. The grooming, yes, the grooming process makes sense. We, we, we had a recent guest who also stated his uh, passion for process improvement led him to sales ops. Do you think this is just something like... The, you think that process improvement is a big part of sales ops and therefore it attracts people like you and our other guests? Absolutely. Um, 
you know, process improvement and product management, I think, are, are really big staples of the role. Um, you know, in, in sales operations, it seems a lot of times it's a it's a catching ground for everything within the organization. You, you're that group that sits between sales and the rest of the organization. So, you know, projects, things that come up, things that need to solve, typically, I think, come to sales operations, including a lot of those fire drills. And being able to, you know, to figure out what, the, what, where something is breaking, what the challenge is, and then ultimately fix it or lay out a roadmap to fix it is, is definitely critical for a sales operation or commercial operations role. So please paint the picture of the Elsevier sales operations function and sales function just for the, for the listeners to get some context of what we're working with here. Yeah, and and that's a great question because I feel like in every organization, sales operations can be a little bit different in, in what they do. So, so my key role um, is sales strategy and operations. So really, anything that we do with the sales organization doesn't make sense. Do we have the right number of people? Are they situated in the right places? Are we compensating them the right way? Are we training them the right way? Um, you know, my goal and, and how I pitch my role to others is we remove all those barriers for sales. We, you know, my role is to make it easier for sales to do their jobs effectively and to be that conduit to marketing, finance, commercial, product organizations, and even the leadership. Um, you know, my day to day looks like, you know, the responsibilities for sales training, uh, sales compensation, design and administration, uh, BI and reporting solutions. Um, as well as our systems and tools. So, you know, our CRM systems, our go-to-market systems, our, you know, our, our compensation systems, et cetera, all, all sit within my camp. And roughly how many people are there within your sales ops function? Uh, I have a department of about 28, um, and that, in- that includes our customer contracting organization too. So a lot of folks are in the contracting group. Um, my core sales ops function is about 10, uh, 10 individuals that, that handle everything outside of sales contracting. And then we also have a approximately or just over 100 sales uh, reps that you guys are working with. Yeah, yeah. So I, I sit in the, in the clinical solutions division of Elsevier. It's our, it's our health division, um, and I'm responsible for North American operations. Um, so for U.S. and Canada, we have just over, you know, 110 reps today. Um, Elsevier as a whole has has just about a thousand um, sales representatives in, in totality. So we mentioned just before we started recording about how you guys are, let's say, uh, modernizing the sales process post, uh, well, and during COVID-19. Could you share a few things that you're doing that have either worked or, or not worked so far? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot has changed, right? Um, so it, you, know, in the last year, we've, we've kind of had to look at everything and, and start over and saying, okay, what, what is sales today? And what is sales going to be in the future? And as I, as I looked at some of those changes, you know, we've seen sales changing over, over the last few years anyway, into a more virtual and a more remote environment. Um, and as a whole, I think COVID really just hit that acceleration button. So what we wanted to do is, is really understand what do we need to be doing to sell? Does, does our message change? Does the way that we present our message change? Do we have the right tools and technologies in place to, to capitalize on this new environment? You know, we work, you know, our, our biggest customer base is, is healthcare providers in, in the U.S. Um, they're going through a lot right now. Um, they're, they're having to pull new people into jobs that they haven't done for a while. They're dealing with the virus and the pandemic themselves and their priorities have changed. 
And we had to think, okay, is, is the way that we typically went to market the same? No. And what do we have to do to continue to drive opportunities forward, continue to put our solutions in the hands of, of physicians and nurses to, to improve patient outcomes? And then ultimately, you know, how do we use that in-house? You know, are we getting the data and insights that we need? Um, are we still able to coach the same way that we did in previously? So we've launched solutions around conversation intelligence. Um, so, so we can now hear our customer conversations, hear directly from the customer in a remote environment of what they're facing, the challenges that they have, and as well as coach our own team. So is our message still on point? Are we resonating the way that we think we are with our customers um, when we listen back and play it? What other insights and observations when you're, when you're having a conversation back and forth with, with customers, sometimes you miss things. Sometimes you're scribbling a note down. Um, being able to have that that active listening, knowing that that you have a, a tool behind the scenes that's um, powering your conversation, that's going to give you some real time feedback after you hang up, is is really important for us. Uh, another area that we focused on is just how we approach our prospects. So the 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 idea of sequencing and and having a more automated function was really designed to free up our reps' times. You know, if if, if I know that I have to make ten calls in a day and send twenty emails. I want to spend the most time on high priority contacts. I want to spend additional time on that email that I think is going to get the most legs mm-hmm. for my selling effort. Those feelers, those darts that I'm throwing on, on a few, you know, far out prospects, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. I want something a little bit quicker and more automated. And then, you know, I think the final solution is, you know, media is changing. You know, I, I, I get hundreds of emails a day from someone trying to sell me something. How do we break through, how do we break through that mess and actually get people to look at our emails and respond? And we've invested in, in video solutions as well so that we can have, you know, emails that look like these conversations and, and have that connection point when we're no longer sitting across the table from someone sharing a cup of coffee or, or having a lunch with a prospective client. Okay, sounds like there's a lot going on. Have you been driving those changes or like then over the past six months, you've sat down and you've either researched or thought out the ideas yourself or is there someone within your team that you've been working with? Yeah, the, the idea came out of our group. Um, so it was something that, that we really believe in strongly. And, um, you know, we, we have great partners in our, in our business technology group. So, you know, we, we raise the idea. We say these are the solutions that we're interested in. And then we work with our tech teams to make it happen. And I think with our technology teams, they've appreciated that a lot has changed as well and that we are, you know, we're launching something new. And I definitely think, you know, across the rest of the organization, we have folks looking at us saying, Hey, how's this going to play out? And, can we be the next ones to sign up for that? So it's, it's definitely an exciting time. Um, the, the first quarter of this year is going to be uh, really telling on how this all turns into an ROI for us. Um, but it's, uh, they're great solutions, and, and we're definitely excited to be the first at Elsevier to be using them. Awesome. Talking about relationships with sales reps, um, you have, uh, if clear, have worked with a number of reps throughout your career. Do you have anything to share about how to effectively build those relationships so you can uh, help them improve, et cetera? Yeah, you know, relationships with sales are incredibly important. Um, the, the way that you speak to them, the way that your message is received is is all critical. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I see out there is is being empathetic and being authentic. Um, you know, I'm not doing what they do every single day. I, I don't understand the hardships that the sales team is going through trying to sell in a pandemic. I, I see what happens to the opportunities. I see the feedback from our customers on calls, um, but I'm not there. My paycheck isn't dependent on making that sale. 
Um, so I think it's really important to understand where the sales team comes from and, and the challenges that they're facing on a day-to-day effort and then figuring out what can we do as a sales operations group to make them more effective, to save them five clicks, to make them more powerful in, in the messages that they that they send. So everything that we do kind of has the sales team in mind. You know, I, I think about how we roll out some of these solutions um, that are new for sales, sometimes a little bit uncomfortable for sales teams to say, hey, we're going to be recording all of your calls moving forward. Um, but at the same time, we we preach the benefits. We say, what is in this for you? How is this going to make you better? And we've seen the results, you know, you know, two, three weeks into using a solution saying, hey, I don't want to give this up now. I, I'm totally invested in this. This is making my life a lot easier and better. Um, and being able to, to do some of that up front. I also think partnering with sales is very important too. Um, when we roll out solutions, I always try telling and saying, this isn't a sales ops solution. This isn't something that we're trying to push upon you. This is a solution for sales. We have a sales advisory board. They give us feedback. They tell us how they want it to be. So a lot of times it's a solution built for sales by sales. We're just there as project managers. We're help there to you know, we're there to help facilitate the situation. I'd also like to throw that one over to Alex. Um, Alex is a sales engineer, I believe, um, at Epster. And so maybe from a slightly different angle, do you have anything to share on being effective or working effectively with reps? Sure. Um yeah, I, I wear a number of hats, um, both so both working with people internally and also sort of consulting and, and working with, with some of our customers. Um, yeah, I think it's the same. It's, it's you, you always want to be understanding and, and someone you know that is looking to help people out. I think almost goes out same. And the key thing is ultimately is if you can help people and solve their problem, um, they're going to want they're going to want to spend time with you as long as you're not being a jerk about it. So. Um, I think, yeah, that's the key thing I, I try and do is really try and understand what, what they're looking for um, and try and solve their problem. At the same time, sometimes you have a better, you know, a better perspective, more of more insight from, from what you've done and from being zoomed out and having talked to other people as well. And so to, but if you go and solve an initial problem that they can see first, you can then suggest some other things and you've, you've earned yourself a platform to, to put your opinion out there. Makes total sense. Back over to Tim. Over the past, just over five years, I believe you've been at Elsevier. What is the the initiative or the tool or the process you have implemented that you think have had the biggest impact? Well, you know, we, we've certainly done a lot. <laughs> Tough. It, it, it's been an adventurous five years. So, um, you know, I, I look at that and it, it's, I got to go with Salesforce um, only because Salesforce kind of opened the environment for everything else, right? You know, Salesforce is our hub for everything that we look at now moving forward. But, you know, five years ago when I joined Elsevier, you know, what what I was looking at mostly was, you know, we had Siebel as a CRM, which, you know, isn't always the most modern solution out there. Um, But we worked with our business technology team. We really stressed the importance of a, a solution like Salesforce. Our sales teams were clamoring for it. And you know we were able to implement Salesforce as our sales-facing CRM there. Um, outside of that, it was a lot of Excel, and Excel is a great tool. Um, but we we're looking for more automation, more self-service, and and frankly, more modernization. So we developed a, a technology roadmap that we put in place. Um, Salesforce being key to that. But since then, we've launched you know Tableau for our reporting and intelligence environments. We launched Exactly and Sent for compensation um, administration. Right now, we're looking at CPQ and contract management. Um, we launched Franklin Covey as a selling methodology. And, and the key is every solution that we've launched over the past few years, it's 
has to be in Salesforce, right? We want all eyes, we want all time being spent in one solution. So if it doesn't interface with Salesforce, we're not as interested in it because we want our reps in one place that can find everything in one solution and tool, even if they're third-party solutions. And then I, I referenced a little bit about our conversation intelligence and our sequencing that we're doing too. You know, that being able to interoperate with Salesforce is, is a very, very important part to, to how we look at solutions moving forward for the sales team. Makes sense. And then the the final or the penultimate question I want to ask is about the forecasting process. What is the sales ops role? And then what is also your personal role um, in the forecasting process? Yeah. Um, so forecasting has, has been an adventure over this last year, as, as I think a lot of people have experienced. Um, our forecast process is is wrapped around a monthly cadence. Um, so, so everything that we kind of do is is developed around a cadence that we put in place with our sales team and our sales leadership, and how it trans, you know, how it goes from week to week throughout the course of the month. The month ends, you start it all over again. But specific to forecasting, you know, we kick off each each month with a process that we look and we we gather together and put that forecast that goes from a, a rep level to the frontline manager level to the VP level, before ultimately, you know, we sign off on it from a you know the head of sales and the head of operations. Um, from that point on. You know, we, we do a mid-month check-in. Um, this occurred actually, you know, yesterday for us where we look and we pull everything together and say, hey, two, three weeks ago, this is what you said was going to happen. Where we where do we stack up against it? Where's our risk? What do we really need to dial in on in the coming days? And then as we move towards the end of the month, it, it moves into a daily forecasting process where we want to make sure that we're not letting anything hang, that there's no internal hiccups taking place, and that Everybody on the call knows what deals need to come in, where we're where we're putting our focus and our attention on to hit that monthly number. Um, you know, has this been a challenger? You know, over the over the past years or over the past year, absolutely. Um, you know, it, definitely a lot has changed with COVID. Um, but we think you know when we look at it and say, what do we need to do? It's continuing to have the open lines of communication and go back to that cadence. Um, and then adjust as needed to to what you have to do to to deal COVID. I was just wanted to jump in before the last question um, with the one I was wanting to ask near, since near the start, which is um, in your title of Vice President of Strategy and Sales Operations. Obviously, we speak to a number of people, a number of different titles, but this is the first time I've spoken to someone I think with strategy in the in the title. Is there something you know? I just wonder: is there a particular different? Um, Bentley thing that gives you that that makes it different from maybe the way other people do sales ops. I think the, the strategy part comes into it a little bit around how you design your sales organization. You know, when I started here, it was really here's your sales team. Are these the right people? Are they in the right roles today? Are you organized in a way that makes sense for the products that we sell and the markets that we sell to? So just like you know. My, I think in my second year, if you go back to 2017 here at Elsevier, you know, I looked at it and I said, I've learned enough now about our markets, who we're selling to, the teams that we have. We're not set up for that. You know, we're not set up for success right now. You know, we lacked an account management organization. Um, you know, a, a tremendous amount of our revenue comes from our ability to renew our current customers, like most organizations, and not having dedicated focus to. Um, to your renewal stream is very, very important. So we created an account management organization. We transitioned our other selling reps into pure, you know, quote unquote, hunter-based roles, only focused on new business. You know, we, we, a lot of data points to the fact that you don't have both of those skills, right? You, you don't nurture and build a relationship at the same time of hunting for new business. Um, they're two different personalities, two different traits. And we had to kind of rebuild our sales team to say, this is the way that we're going to go to market now. 
And what we saw from that was tremendous success. Um, our account management organization is thriving now. Um, you know, we continue to achieve our, our renewal goals and expectations and even overachieve them. And as I look at it now, you know, when you say, what does strategy do? It's constant evaluation of saying, are we positioned not just for now, not for just this year and hitting this year's goals, but three and four and five years ahead to put ourselves in position to, to, to hit those growth targets in the future. And Tim, the final question, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? That's a good one. There's so much out there. And, you know, I was talking to my wife about it because we, we, we talk this exciting uh, geeky sales ops conversation all the time. Um, it, you know, what, when I thought about it, you know, what always has fascinated me is, is the organization of UPS or any massive parcels company um, out there. And, and although he just recently retired, um, there's a guy by the name of George Willis who headed up operations for operations and logistics for UPS. And I always just thought it would be interesting to to sit down with with George and and just talk about his career. I think he was with UPS for over 30 years in in a variety of roles. But just you know the concept of moving millions of packages across the globe. How do you deal with holiday spikes? Um, the boom of of internet re, you know of, of internet retailers. You know how that changed the game for for shipping of parcels with with all that demand. The Amazon impact, right? You know, it's massive what Amazon did to the world and, and how did that impact both, you know, FedEx and UPS and, and DHL, et cetera. So I don't think it would be a lot of me eating in that lunch. I think I'd, I'd be playing your role, Tom, and asking a bunch of questions. But, um, you know, I know I'd be scribbling notes the entire time as, you know, as I tried to wolf down food and, and ask some questions. And surely we should also give a shout out to your wife, who it seems is also in sales ops. She is not. She just has to deal with uh, all of my my fun questions, which mean nothing to her sometimes. So. <laughs> okay, awesome. This was um, probably a discussion with a, a larger five sales function and sales ops team than we normally have, which, which I think is really good for the audience. The thing that stood out most for me, and I think this is almost a symptom or a result of the fact you are uh, the head of a larger team is the final point you made about strategy, because I think, uh, and the point that it's constant evaluation of the direction. And I think that regardless of, uh, if you have, if you're managing five sales reps or 500, and also regarding of your rank within the sales ops team, the more of this strategy work that you can do, the more stepping away of, uh, from the day to day operations, uh, the, the more likely I think you'll you'll succeed, especially in these times that are so turbulent or changing. So that's the thing that I took away, Tim. And I want to thank you so much for bringing that perspective to the show. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.